0: Welcome to the Cashflow Canucks podcast, where Canadian entrepreneurs and investors come to learn about wealth creation. Experts in their fields will join your host, Peter Lount, to share their successes, challenges, and discuss opportunities. Join me and my guest, Megan Edge, as we go into details of her mind, body, and soul healing practice. Megan is a healer, educator, radio host, and the author of The Heart's Journey, Healing Hearts, Oracle Cards, and Guidebook, and Falling Into Being Human, An Introduction to Intuitive Healing. She shares her journey to becoming a master healer and some life teachings you don't want to miss. Welcome and enjoy. All right, today we have Megan Edge. Uh, Megan, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So Megan, can you uh, just introduce yourself to us a little bit about... um, What you do in your journey
1: sure I'm Megan edge Uh, the work that I do in the world is as a healer as a mentor I do I create programs certification programs to help people become healers themselves I've also created a healing modality called intuitive energy massage that I certify people in so it's like a Reiki um, program or Reiki type of healing but with more to it than that Um, I'm an author I am a radio show host as well. I have a radio show on Transformation Talk Radio. I do a lot of different things. I I love having different tools in my toolkit to be able to be of service for people. But ultimately, what I do and what I call myself is a healer. Yeah.
0: And so what what is that process in terms of healing people? What does that look like?
1: Well, in the way that I do my work, I'm not the one doing the healing, actually. I would consider myself a facilitator for other people's healing journeys. This is where I would I encourage people to understand what their ability and capacity is to heal the wounds in their lives, the things that have happened to them that cause them pain, whether it's physical or emotional, and really listening to the way in which they tell that story, the story of their lives and how they've lived their lives, and helping them to understand that if they could. If they choose to tell their story from a different perspective or in a different way or using different language, they can heal the parts of the story that are no longer serving them. So it's, it's a journey. When I think of healing, I think of it as a journey. No matter what it is that you're healing, whether you're healing uh, emotional wounds, you're healing physical wounds, you're healing money wounds, you're healing marriage wounds, heart wounds. It's really the same journey. It's about taking that first step and saying, there's something in my life I need and want to change and I want the pain to stop, how do I do that?
0: And, you're giving, and then, them, you're giving them clarity to what that is that's holding them
1: back. That's right, helping them to see it. Uh, and what I have found in my work is that it really, is, it really comes down to the way in which a person is talking about their story, talking the words that they're using, the language that they're using to describe to me the events that they think are the problem for them or that is where the wounding comes from for them. And then helping them to use... A different kind of language in fact to help them helping them to use a healed language to describe something that isn't yet healed as a way to open up the capacity to do that healing work for themselves. And it, it looks different for every person, right? It's, it's why I don't call myself a particular kind of healer, because it really is different for every person. And and that in that counseling process, that intuitive process, that story holding process, it, it is different because each of us has our own way that we've gone through the world and our own experiences that have happened to us. And then there's the universal understanding that we're not in this alone, that other people have had similar experiences, and that if we recognize what our story is, it's easier for us to see how knowing our story can help us to help other people and then to do that healing work for others.
0: Wow. Um, And so how did you come to discover this what you do now.
1: It came through a number of different experiences in my own life that were what I call wake up calls. So, the death of my mother was one of them when I was in my early 30s. The birth of both my children and uh, some of their health challenges. My older daughter is anaphylactic, um, deathly, deadly anaphylactic to a number of uh, foods and things in the environment. So, learning about how to help her be safe and then my own journey through a car accident and also understanding that I live with fibromyalgia and deciding along the way that I never wanted the experiences in my life to define who I was. I didn't want to experience myself simply through those experiences. Like, I don't say I have fibromyalgia. I say I've been given a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and I, and I chose to see it as an opportunity to learn about how I could be healthier in my body uh, and healthier in my mind, and then how I could turn that around and help other people with it. And it's a it's a constant journey. You know, it's still there. I'm still on the journey, but I'm enough into the journey that I have a body of work that I can now use to help other people see where they need to be in their lives or where they want to be in their lives and what it is that they that they want to heal. I truly believe that if a person is to become a healer, and that's whether they're a doctor or a psychologist or an energy healer, whatever it is that they do, that they're showing up in the world to serve and help others, it's something that they're born with. And, they, and they'll know in their bodies, they'll know in their hearts that that's the kind of work that they need and want to be doing, however it shows up for them. And if they're not doing that work, then I want to help them be doing that work, because the world needs us. <laughs> the world needs healers.
0: More so than ever now, right? More so
1: than ever, that's right. Yeah.
0: How, how? What's What's the form of study to become a healer?
1: There's lots of different avenues to become a healer. The course that I teach that I've created and I teach called the Confident Healer, and it's an intuitive, an intensive intuitive healers program. And that's where I've put together a whole body of work for how I do my work, and then I help teach other people to do that, and they become a certified mind, body, and soul healer when they come out the other the other way, the other end. But there's lots of, you know, there's, there's schools of metaphysics, there's alternative healing schools, there's even in mainstream universities, so taking psychology classes, or taking biology, or taking medicine. These are all different pathways that can get us to, to stepping into this role or this work of, of being a healer. I don't think there's any one route. I think we all come to it in different ways. The, the thing that I see that's consistent for healers, though, is that usually there's some event. There's something in their lives that has happened, like for me, that propels them to not only do their own healing work first and foremost, but then to recognize that healing is possible and then wanting to be able to do that for others, to hold space for other people to have their healing. It's an interesting question. How do do you get there? So I I used to work in the banks. I worked for a TD bank and I worked for Canada Trust and I was a a loans officer and a financial services officer. Uh, Started as a teller, moved my way through. And what I found myself doing most of the time when I was working with clients, especially around lending, was counseling them on how they could improve their relationship with their money and their understanding around how how shame and money get very interconnected and very confused. And and I started to recognize that that's, that's a big place of wounding right there. You know, many people they come to me because they're going through a big transition in their life. Say it's a divorce or the death of a loved one, or a career change, and they really want to understand how to do that better. Many people end up. We we end up doing an enormous amount of work around their relationship with money, and and how they can improve that, how they can change that, so that they're not carrying sometimes generations worth of baggage around the idea of what money is and how money can be in their lives and their sense of self-worth as it connects to this idea of being able to take care of themselves and the people in their lives. So there really is no limit on the number of different ways that a person can come to be doing this kind of work. As long as they know that it's there in their hearts, I think they can they'll, they'll find that path. They'll find that path for sure.
0: Yeah, you, so money can come in a, a, a number of different ways to your point, right? You talked about generational, but there could be specific Mm -hmm. circumstances that may trigger that over time or?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, when we, when I do money work with people, when I'm looking at their money wounding, the first place we start is the family of origin. And we're looking to understand what stories the child heard and saw playing out in that family of origin around money. And it's, it's simple things like, did they get an allowance or not? Or what did they have to do to earn money in the family? Or how was money talked about in the family? Was it always the Joneses have more than we do? Or we can't talk about our financial situation. In fact, most people are, be more, are more willing to talk about their sex lives than they are to talk about their financial lives with friends and family and other people. And the leading cause of divorce between couples is financial. It's not about having an affair. It's not about infidelity. It's actually comes down to money because there's such a language around money and the way that we talk about it. And it's different from family to family, from person to person. And if you don't have that conversation with your spouse, your loved one, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or whatever, right at the very beginning of a relationship around what you believe about money, I guarantee it's going to be a problem as you move forward because you're speaking a different language. You know, we talk about the love languages, well, I think there's a money, I think there's money languages as well. And we need to know what our partner's experiences have been with money in order to create something new between the couple themselves. And then there's a whole other piece of it around financial abuse. And this was something I I learned about over the course of time, as I went through some of my own experiences that financial abuse is as devastating psychologically and emotionally as physical abuse or as emotional abuse. And what do I mean by financial abuse? I mean, using money as a weapon or a means of control either by lavishing it or withholding it as a, as a way of manipulating somebody else. And that's why I say that, that statistically finances is one of the biggest causes of divorce over anything else. Because sometimes that emotion or that financial abuse plays that key role in the relationship between two people.
0: Right. And obviously brings a lot of stress and that impacts so many other elements within your life, um, physically, mentally, whatever that, that may be. Um, in terms of, um, you know, when we talk about generationally, people may have that mindset where they just say, I'm never going to be rich or I refuse to be rich.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mindset is, is huge. And often it's unconscious. We're not, we're not aware of what it is we're saying to ourselves. We don't know the story that we're carrying around money. And so our brain might say, of course, I want to be wealthy. Who wouldn't want to be wealthy? Who wouldn't want to be rich and have all of their bills paid and be able to travel the world, do whatever they want it to do? Who wouldn't want that? But if there's a story being held in the person's body, in their memory, in their minds, that rich people are bad for some reason, like you have to cheat and steal and and be manipulative in order to be rich. And they don't want to identify themselves as that kind of a person. Then no matter how many times they tell themselves that they'd like to be rich, their body doesn't believe them because the body is holding the story that rich people are, are bad or what, you know, whatever it is, or that it's, it's, it's better to be poor. It's better to be the starving artist. It's better to be the starving author than to, to have the money and the accolades and the, and the acknowledgement. So, you know, money isn't just about dollar bills or coins. It's about the psychology and the relationship, what it can do for us or how it has been taken away from us. And all of that comes down to, to mindset. It's about what we believe about money. So when I work with people, that's, that's the first thing we want to understand is what do you believe about money? Do you believe it's okay to be wealthy and have money? Do you, do you think it's not? Why? Where is that coming from? And what is that generational influence that that is being uh, that is impinging your ability to manifest the things that you want in your life? And money plays a key part in that.
0: Yeah, and it can be, um, you said, could be generational.ly it Could be a, a lot. A, there's a lot to unwind in there for sure. In terms of um, making that change, is it is it just something that kind of f- people flip a switch or is it just take time? Maybe it's case by case, I guess, what would you say? Or
1: I've seen both. I've seen people have these amazing aha moments as I take them through this process where they realize that they have this limiting belief, for example, that it's better to be poor, that you're spiritually a better person if you are living humbly in your means. And that's, you know, that's another influence is religion and belief around that kind of thing, how to be a good person when they recognize that that's the anchor that's been holding them back and they can do the release work around it. And that's a process through just basically the conversation that we have. Once that release happens, that's the, uh, that's the aha moment. That can be that miracle transformation, but because of the way in which our experiences around money and wealth and inheritance and just feeling how we feel about ourselves in relation to that can be quite a tangled web. It can also take time. It can take many counseling sessions to really look at the experiences that a person has had in relation to money and finances in their lives. As a woman, as a man, it's a different kind of relationship. Women have a different relationship with money than men do traditionally. So there's, there can be a lot to that healing work that we do. The beautiful thing is that as, that, as those wounds get healed, as those financial wounds get healed, So many other things start to flow around a person's ability to show up in the world in the way that they want to. Like their creativity suddenly opens up. I've watched people go from, I've always wanted to write a book, to, I'm writing that book because of the work that we did with them around around the financial piece. It just suddenly frees them to pursue the things that they have always wanted to do because now we've changed their mindset around their ability to do that based on their financial relationships. That's quite, it's amazing, actually. It's really staggering work.
0: Yeah, it can be definitely paralyzing when someone's caught in that world of, well, I need to keep working. I need to do this. Mm -hmm. I need to do the nine to five job and all that. And you completely kind of lose that imagination, your creativity, all that really kind of goes away. You're really just kind of existing, I guess, so to say.
1: Yeah. And I think what's happening right now, where lots of people are either now having to work from home or they are not working right now because they're not an essential service. There's an opportunity here to really redefine our understanding and relationship with, with money and its importance in our lives, what we think about it, how we feel about it, how it comes to us, what we do for it. There's, there's an opportunity to step back and look at what is a priority in our lives. And if the priority is, I really want to make a lot of money, then awesome. If that's your priority, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So here's the chance to get creative about how that could happen. Basically, the opportunity is to allow ourselves to think outside the box. So if we've boxed ourselves into a career path or boxed ourselves into a way of thinking about what's possible for ourselves, we can tear that box open right now. We can make that decision to do that and then explore what that could look like. With everything that people are offering right now.
0: Right. And I think, you know, this is something we haven't this is probably
1: uh-huh.
0: the biggest change we'll we'll have seen in our lifetime for sure. And I think there'll be a lot of changes that come out of it and quite frankly, a lot of different careers that will come out of it too that are gonna develop over time. So mm-hmm. if we're looking in terms of what's happening now, I think it's always to be evolving to growing to learning.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And this is, we were talking before we started the show about emotional intelligence and evolution. This is an opportunity to, for us as a species, and also individually, to move into the next phase of our evolution, At at the thinking level, at the mindset level, at the emotional level, to understand what's possible for us in ways that maybe we haven't taken the time or had the time to even consider before. So there's an enormous amount of potential here. And I tend to be an optimist. I'm, I'm usually the one looking for the silver lining on whatever cloud there is. For someone who's a pessimist by nature, this may not be as easy a thing to, to do as what I'm saying. But then again, that's also mindset, isn't it? Right? If someone's a pessimist and they're choosing to see the world through pessimistic eyes, well, that's their choice. And the beautiful thing about choice and the beautiful thing about your mind is you can change it. You can change your mind about anything at any point in time. And it's so freeing to know that, even if it's a challenging practice to, to engage in. But I think if people really understand and truly believe that they have free will when it comes to their own choices, that can be a game changer for a lot of people. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, and it, um, you mentioned practice. I think go back to you know when you're working with people, they move on. It's something they have to continue to have to do use that muscle, create that habit.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And actually, this is a fun exercise that people might want to try. When I teach my Confident Healer program, one of the very first things that we look at is our habits and how rigid they can become in us without us even realizing that that's what's happening. So I invite my students to do what I call a day of non-judgment. There's there's two exercises that I have them do. One is the day of non-judgment. And what they do is they place a day on their calendar where when they wake up that morning, their their intention is to become very mindful and aware of how often they're judging others or themselves and what kinds of judgments they're making just from a place of observation right not to judge themselves for their judgment but to see how often it shows up especially to be on the lookout for how much it matters to them what they think other people think about them right so the judgment of others onto themselves and and how that controls, how they let that control the way that they show up in the world. And then the other exercise is the habit changing exercise. So for however many weeks a person wants to do this, each week you choose one, ex, one habit that you have. So maybe it's the way in which you drive to work, although that's not happening so much these days, but maybe it's the way you brush your teeth and you change it. So if you always start brushing your teeth on the left side, first of all, you have to become aware that that's the habit. So then you start brushing your teeth on the right side. Every time you brush your teeth. And you do that for a week and you just notice in your body how it feels to do it differently. And then the following week, you continue with the first week's habit change, but you add another one to it. And you do this for at least three or four weeks. I would say four weeks minimum. So now you've changed four different habits in your life or you've added a new habit in. So let's say you've never done yoga before and you decide that this is the week you're going to start doing yoga. And so, after every day for 10 minutes, you do yoga. So you could also add new habits in as well as changing the ones that already exist. What this does at the brain level is it actually changes and recreates new neural pathways in the brain. And it teaches the brain and the body that change is safe and that it's okay and that it can be comfortable, right? Because change is one of the biggest things that that people stumble upon. People get very, we're very habit creatures. We get caught up in something and we decide that's the only way it can be. And you've heard people say, I'm sure, I, know, I can't change. Yes, you can, <laughs> you can, you just have to want to, but of course you can change. So these two exercises are really great ways that people can practice that and, and simply observe what changes for them uh, as they engage in these kinds of, these kinds of mindset practices.
0: Very, I mean, the change can be so slight but have such an impact. Too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you. You, you talked about being an author, having a radio show. Can you talk about those uh, in terms of how you connect with people through those outlets?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of online writing for online magazines, so people can find me at Mind Body Network. They can find me at Island Woman Magazine. Uh, there's another online magazine called Sybil magazine i do a lot of blogging i do a lot of writing and all of that writing ended up becoming a book it's actually a box set this is right here it is right here (laughs) Um, it's called the heart's journey it's healing hearts oracle cards and guidebook and in the box, there's two, there are two books. There's a journal that I've created. Journaling is just a wonderful tool for people to really be able to access other parts of themselves that they might not normally be listening to. And then there's a guidebook that talks about what oracle cards are, how to work with oracle cards as a healing tool, as a meditation tool. And in it, I also share my story of my own heart's journey coming out of a 23-year marriage with two little children, married to my best friend, and how that Unfolded and what that looked like, and how I—I I basically I said to the universe, "Show me a sign. That when I see that sign, I'll know that I'm following my heart above all other voices, even if I don't know where it's leading me yet." And it turned out to be hearts. <laughs> so I started seeing hearts in nature—rocks, the shapes of hearts; trees, the shapes of hearts; leaves, the shapes of hearts—and um, I started taking photographs of them just for myself because I really loved seeing that image, that heart image, as that reminder. And when I came, when I stepped into full-time, doing my full-time work as a healer, after I left my marriage, somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody said to me, hey, you know, those heart photos you were talking about, I think you should put those on Facebook because I think other people will really benefit from seeing them and hearing the stories of each of those heart images. And it just snowballed from there and it evolved into this, this beautiful book and, and a whole, it's a whole training, teaching, healing system of trusting our heart, opening up our hearts, doing our knee doing our healing around our heart wounds where we've had broken hearts that we haven't known that we could heal and really then helping people step into an authentic higher version of themselves coming from that place of love for themselves. Um, So that's, that's the, the writing that I do. And then, and then all the writing that I do is about empowerment. It's about helping people see what's possible for them. And there's a few other books in the works, but that's the big one right now.
0: (laughs) All right. And what about the radio show? What's, what's that all about?
1: The radio show is called, as I said, it's called Playing on the Edge Radio, and it's about radical change, change with ease. So every month my co-host and I sit down and, and look at an area of human experience that we want to take to the next level. So, and in fact, just before coming on with you, I was doing that radio show, and this month's episode was called On the Edge, Edge of Living Supernaturally. So we're, we're challenging people's beliefs about what's possible for them and asking people or inviting people to step into or step out of their comfort zone in, in whatever subject it is that we're, that we're talking about. I love doing that show. It's so much fun. We do it live on Facebook and then it also goes out as a podcast and it goes out as a, as a radio show. So it gets to go globally. Um, and we get such great feedback from it as people really love hearing things from a different perspective than how they might have been thinking about them uh, beforehand. And then from that, I've also created a podcast called Magic Mystery and Medicine that I do here and there, sometimes consistently, sometimes not. Um, often it's, a, it's an interview situation where I'm interviewing other healers and showcasing them and the work that they're doing in the arena of metaphysical healing and alternative healing and mainstream healing as well. Because so I really believe we need to have bridges between mainstream medicine and alternative medicine. And then most recently, I've started another one with a dear friend of mine called the Essentials Roundtable. And this is looking at essential oils and how we can use essential oils for health, well-being, for medicine, for emotional healing, all the amazing, incredible things that uh, essential oils can do for us. Yeah.
0: So just a few outlets. And then also people (laughs) working with you, do they work one-on-one? Do you do workshops? How does that work?
1: I do all of it. I do workshops. I do public speaking. I do one-on-one sessions with people. Uh, I take the individual people through that healing journey, whatever it is they come to me with. Uh, Oftentimes it's trauma. We do a lot of deep work, a lot of deep trauma healing. I've worked with people who are suicidal. I've worked with people who have gone through incredible abuses in their lives, helping them to come back to themselves and that's very much a one-on-one process. And then the workshops that I teach, they, they come out of the te- all of my teachings. Workshops on past life therapy, for example, or how to work with auras, or how to work with your chakras, how to move energy, how to heal your money wounds. I have a program called The Eight, step, the eight Power Steps to Becoming a Master Manifester. And you know that whole idea about the secret and this whole idea that if you just say it enough times, it'll come to you. And what I noticed is that that doesn't always happen and people get frustrated. And why doesn't it always happen? And it doesn't happen sometimes because the person, although they're saying it, they don't believe it. They don't believe it because there's that wound. There's that money wound. And so these these eight power steps actually came out of the work that I did in the bank, the work that I did with clients, helping them to get past whatever their blocks were with with money, Um, looking at those relationships around financial abuse, because all of these things are getting in the way of them really creating the life that they wanted to live because of that psychology that we were talking about earlier. And so it just naturally evolved into this, this beautiful power of eight system of going through these, each, each of these steps to, to come out on the other side of that program with a real sense of what you deserve and what's possible for you.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um, So is there, I guess, We've got a number of outlets in terms of how people can reach out to you. I'll, I'll share that with the, um, with the audience as well. Um, uh, show notes. Uh, how else can people connect with you? Um, so website, um, LinkedIn, yeah. whatever, what's, what's yeah. the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Well, my website, which is Meganedge.ca, there's a kind of contact me button so they can reach me through there. Email is the best way to reach me. I don't tend to answer my phone. I'll be perfectly transparent. <laughs> so, if you want to get a hold of me, email is your best bet. You can also go through LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn at Megan Edge Healing. I'm on Facebook as Megan Edge and Megan Edge Healing. So, Messenger is another way people can find me. The Essentials Roundtable is a public group that I have on on Facebook for people who are interested in working with essential oils and learning more about aromatherapy and all of that. And we have a YouTube channel, and there's over I think we're now 400 or more videos that are resources to help people as they move through, whatever it is that they move through. So there's visualizations on there. There's workshops that I've done, like full hour long workshops, interactive bits of wisdom. All the shows I do are on the YouTube channel as well. So lots and lots of ways that people can find me.
0: Oh, very nice. Well, Megan, thank you so much for sharing your story and how you're um, impacting people's lives. Um, I really appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you, I really appreciate you reaching out and inviting me to come on board all
0: right thanks
1: Great, thank you bye
0: thank you for taking time to listen to the cash for OpenX podcast you'll be able to find out more about our guests and how to connect with them in the show notes for this episode would you like to learn the secret way savvy investors and smart entrepreneurs are turning their expenses into positive cash flow? Then you want to read the Infinite Banking Concept book. For a limited time, I am giving away free copies of this book valued at thirty dollars. If you want a copy, just email me Peter with the subject line "Book" to peter at cashflowcanucks.ca. Again, if you want a free copy of the Infinite Banking Concept book, just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca with the subject line "Book." and your mailing address and I'll send you a copy. You'll finally understand how the wealthy elite is turning everyday expenses into cash flow. Just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca